go to the lesson at this time. We're going to be uh, continuing our way through the book of Ezra. So, Ezra chapter 6 is where we are going to be this morning. And I'm, I hope you're all getting something from the book of Ezra. We're taking the time to uh, get into a lot of technical stuff. Obviously, it's a historical book. It's a book that's given a lot of uh, details that might not be the most exciting things. We've got some good stories in here. But these details, these records that they're giving are very important. And, and we don't want to just read over these things. If we do, we're going to miss a lot. And there are there's a lot of key things that we're seeing as we go through the book of Ezra that are completely ignored. They're never taught in Baptist churches. And it's one of the many reasons we see a lot of error, especially when it comes to all things Israel related, you know, and we're really getting to see a lot of that right now with all the fighting going on over in Israel. Uh, you know, yesterday I was blessed to just watch Baptist, uh, just, um, tweet out their ignorance, uh, and on a massive scale. And so, uh, if they actually did deep dives in the book of Ezra, connected it to, didn't just isolate it, connect it with the rest of the Bible, it would help a lot. So we're going to look at some things here too that um, you know might not seem like a big detail, but it actually is relevant to what's going, uh, what's going on today a little bit, or at least a lot of the rhetoric that we hear about Israel. But before we start reading, uh, just a reminder, last week we ended with the people who would become the Samaritans basically tattling on the Jews for rebuilding the house of the Lord and them telling the king to basically check the records to see if it was true that Cyrus had commissioned them to rebuild the temple. Because they had, they, had, they had ceased the work, but the prophets came, told them, get back to work. So they did, at the, at the orders of God, they got back to work. When these men came and called them out and said, you're not supposed to be working, they said, first off, God said we can. Secondly, secondly, you know, Cyrus also said we can too. And so, uh, we, and one, you know, one of the things we learned from that, that's what we did during COVID. God said to have church. Oh, and by the way, so does the Constitution. They said, they said we can too. So you all can go jump in a lake. So here what we're seeing in chapter six, basically, is what happened in a lot of places in America, where after, uh, people went and did the right thing and they got challenged, you know, some things went to court. That was kind of how the process worked here. And then it turned out, oh yeah, it is constitutional. You are allowed to, you are allowed to have church government, can't say anything about it. And that's what we're about to see happen right here. So it says in verse 1, Then Darius the king made a decree, and search was made in the house of the rolls, where the treasures were laid up in Babylon. And there was found at Akmetha, in the place that is in the province of the Medes, a roll, and therein was a record thus written, In the first year of Cyrus the king, the same Cyrus the king, made a decree concerning the house of God at Jerusalem, let the house be builded, the place where they offered sacrifices, and let the foundations thereof be strongly laid, the height thereof three score cubits, and the breadth thereof three score cubits, with three rows of great stones and a row of new timber, and let the expenses be given out of the king's house. So not only when they checked the records did they find out that it was legal for them to build the temple, that Cyrus had commissioned it, that they were also supposed to pay for it as well too that was kind of an exciting thing uh that you know uh for uh judah and so it says 
And also let the golden and silver vessels of the house of God, which Nebuchadnezzar took forth out of the temple, which is at Jerusalem, and brought unto Babylon, be restored and brought again unto the temple, which is at Jerusalem, every one to his place and place them in the house of God. And this is a wise decision too, because if you remember in Daniel, when Belshazzar went and he had his drunken feast and they went and they brought in the vessels from the house of the Lord and they started using those in a very blasphemous way. And these were holy vessels. And understand, and this is something we don't think about today. We don't really make a big deal about holy vessels because, uh, you know, we understand, you know, that when it comes to our worship, it's something that we do in spirit and in truth. Where under the old covenant, they did have things that pointed to the holiness of Jesus Christ. And so as a result of that, God gave them they gave them a law. He gave them a priesthood. He gave them all of these earthly ordinances, these carnal ordinances that they were to take very seriously. They were to show great reverence for these things because these things pointed to the holiness of Christ. And so they were, they took great care of those things. And it was, it was a really big deal. But, and, uh, and so, you know, this concept of for, of holy vessels is kind of foreign to us today. You know, we don't, we don't really care. You know, we don't, we've, you know, we don't consider these. Now, in some churches, these are probably the most holy vessels that they have. <laughs> it's all about the, it's all about what happens with these holy vessels. But, you know, we don't really care. You know, I, I I've done this for my dad he used to take the offering plates and juggle them and stuff like that. I, I don't, I don't think that's sacrilegious. Okay. I've done it before too. Um, you know, we don't really have, holy vessels you know what is more important what we do from the heart and how we worship god in our spirit and so we don't we don't make a big deal about vessels we don't make that we don't make a big deal about a temple or a building and you know what else we don't make a big deal about a land or a city we don't you know and if you remember in psalms it said pray for the peace of jerusalem and then, but then nobody wants to read three verses later. It says, why? Because the house of the Lord is there. Is the house of the Lord in Jerusalem anymore? No. Okay. In fact, Paul told Timothy that thou oughtest to know how to behave thyself in the house of God. And he wasn't talking about the one in Jerusalem. Okay. This is the house of God. Our body is the temple of God. So, uh, we ought to pray for the peace of Rock Falls. And if you want to pray for the peace of Jerusalem, you can. I don't believe you get any special blessing for it. Uh, I, I think right now our prayers probably should be a little more directed towards praying for peace in Gaza because <laughs> that's where everybody's fighting right now. But uh, that would be considered offensive. But e- either way, them giving back these vessels was a very wise decision. Ultimately, it sealed. You know, God God was going to deal with Babylon after the 70 years. That was kind of determined, set in stone. But it's not a coincidence that it finally came on them the night after they messed with these holy vessels that Nebuchadnezzar had taken 70 years earlier. And so this was a very wise decision to give these things back. And, uh, you know, and again, I, I do, I think it's good. I think for sure we should not make a huge deal out of vessels and things like that. But at the same time too, you know, it kind of stinks that we don't have like old stuff like that that we used to I mean, wouldn't it be cool to have some kind of, you know, uh, 
vessel that had been being used for centuries. You know, like if you're a priest and you have the, you know, that cup that they would drink, do the drink offering from, you know, it was like the one that Aaron used. And, you know, you had something like that for generations. You know, if we had, uh, and, but the problem is these things become idols, don't they? I mean, what do you think would happen? You know, if we went and we actually, that'd be kind of cool if we could get a hold of like offering plates that they used in, uh, you know, Billy Sunday's day or something, people would probably give more money. <laughs> yeah, but, but the thing is that doesn't, that shouldn't matter. Things like that shouldn't matter. But, you know, I kind of understand, you know, the tradition and all that kind of stuff, but it's, it is something we should stay away from. Verse six says, now, therefore, Patnai, the governor beyond the river, Shethar Bosnai, and your companions, the Afar Sachites, which are beyond the river, be ye far from thence. Okay? And now remember, these people that are just mentioned, they are the specific ones who had brought the accusation against the Jews. And so they come, they come to Babylon, they're telling the king, hey, check the records. So they check the records. And so now they're giving these guys instructions, these guys who are wanting to stop Judah from doing the work of the house of the Lord. And it says, let the work of this house of God alone. For the governor of the Jews and the elders of the Jews build this house of God in his place. So first thing they're told, you leave them alone. You let them do the work. Moreover, I make a decree that what you shall do to the elders of these Jews for the building of this house of God, that of the king's goods, even of the tribute beyond the river, forthwith expenses be given unto these men, that they be not hindered, and that which they have need of, both young bullocks and rams and lambs for the burnt offerings of the God of heaven, wheat, salt, wine, and oil, according to the appointment of the priests which are at Jerusalem, let it be given them day by day without fail, that they may offer sacrifices of sweet savors unto the God of heaven, and pray for the life of the king, and of his sons. So these guys who tattle on them are now being told, you give them whatever they need. You stay out of the way. In fact, you give them whatever they need. You make sure they have the money that they need for these things. And also I have made a decree that whosoever shall alter this word, let timber be pulled down from his house and being set up, let him be hanged thereon and let his house be made a dunghill for this. These guys had to be getting nervous at this point. Because this is kind of what they were trying to do. And now it's something like, your house can be made a dunghill if you, if you alter this word. And the God that hath caused his name to dwell there, destroy all kings and people that shall put to their hand to alter and to destroy this house of God, which is at Jerusalem. I, Darius, have made a decree. Let it be done with speed. And this was a very powerful decree that guaranteed death to anyone who got in a way. So things are make, this, taking a very good turn. For Judah during this time. It says, Then Tatnai, the governor on this side of the river, Shethar Bosnai and their companions, according to that which Darius the king had sent, so they did speedily. So while these guys were running to tattle to try to get Israel in trouble, now they're running, trying to help Israel so they can save their own necks. Because they understand we're dead meat if anything happens. And I think they were. I think they were nervous. I, I think not only were these men nervous, but I believe also Darius, it's almost like he's going overboard to help them because it was technically wrong and illegal. And these kings, they did, they cared about law and order back then. Remember, uh, you know, when Daniel prayed, how there's like, you know, we can't alter this law 
according to the law of the Medes and Persians. They had some kind of accountability there. It wasn't just these kings were not just these all-powerful men. They could just snap their finger and do whatever they felt like doing at the moment. They also had a process that they were to follow. And that's how it's supposed to be. And, and so this is, uh, this is good, the way things are changing and looking a lot better for Israel. And so it says, the elders of the Jews build it and they prospered throughout, through the prophesying of Haggai, the prophet, and Zechariah, the son of Iddo, and they build it and finished it according to the commandment of the God of Israel and according to the commandment of Cyrus and Darius and Artaxerxes, king of Persia. And I like how it says this too again, that they did it and finished it according to the commandment of the God of Israel. Okay, It was His command they were following first. And by the way, these other kings, these world powers also gave Him command too. So folks, isn't it a blessing when the government backs up our obedience to God? And that's why we should be very thankful for the First Amendment you know, that our Constitution gives. We ought to be thankful for the Constitution. It is a blessing when uh, things like that happen. And you know what? What a shame it is, too, that our country, how it's degenerated into something that's even inferior to this kingdom back then. Because these kings, they feared when they would go against the laws because they understood people were not going to respect them as a king if they're, not, if they're just doing their own thing and they aren't following the laws. That's how it should be. But yet, what happens to our president? What happens to our governors whenever they go and they violate laws? Whenever they get busted for doing something unconstitutional? Nothing. They don't even fear it. In fact, back during 2020, when Pritzker was doing his illegal shutdowns and putting out his you know, illegal and unconstitutional according to the United States Constitution, which he is underneath, and according to the Illinois Constitution, which he is also underneath. He did not care. He knew that, hey, if I put these mandates out there, people will follow them until they get overthrown in the courts. And he was buying himself time. And he knew they would get overthrown in the courts. And they did get overthrown in the courts. But here's the thing. Why didn't anything happen to him? As a result of that, why is it that executives, and they weren't even able to do that back then, why is it that executives, when they lose in the courts, nothing happens to them? What happens to us when we do something illegal and we go to court and they find that what we did was illegal? We typically get fined big time or go to jail. These guys, nothing. Absolutely nothing. And it just shows, uh, you know, how bad things are getting in our government. So I'm thankful for what we still retain from what was set up, but we're losing more and more all the time. And it's scary. And, and we're going to lose power as a nation. We, you know, we are losing power as a nation. That's one of the reasons we're seeing a lot of the things go on in our world that we are in Ukraine, in Israel, because we have no strength in our government anymore. We have no strength in the White House and other countries know that. And there are there are evil countries out there who have every desire to shed blood, to steal, to take whatever they want. And uh, there's just no good guys out there anymore to stand up to them. And it really is a shame. And it's uh, and so 
Countries that do not follow laws are always going to be weak. They always fall. And as our country turns more and more to a democracy or a just mob rule kind of country, we're going to keep degenerating and just promoting filth and becoming weak. And we need to get back to our constitutional republic. And remember that too. Because everybody acts like we should support Israel because they're a democracy in the Middle East. And it's like, wait, a democracy in the Middle East. You know what a democracy in the Middle East is going to look like? A Middle Eastern country. Because you know what a Muslim country is going to look like in a democracy? Exactly what they have, because that is what that is what Muslims want. So everybody thinks if they would just have democracy, they would be like America. No, they wouldn't. In in fact, you know. Our country, the more we turn to democracy, the more we're turning into a third world country. So it just, it does, it absolutely doesn't work. People's ignorance in these things is, is astounding. But verse 15, and this house was finished on the third day of the month Adar, which was in the sixth year of the reign of Darius the king and the children of Israel, the priests and the Levites and the rest of the children of the captivity kept the dedication of this house of God with joy and offered at the dedication of this house of God and 100 bullocks, 200 rams, 400 lambs, and for a sin offering for all Israel, 12 he-goats according to the number of the tribes of Israel. And they set the priests in their divisions and the Levites in their courses for the service of God, which is at Jerusalem, as it is written in the book of Moses. Now, this here was a major thing for them to be able to go back to following the laws of Moses, meaning the sacrifices, Meaning, you know, those ceremonial things. These were very important to them. And now they're able to go back and do these things. And also, a huge thing that they were supposed to do as a people. Here's another thing we take for granted. They were supposed to keep the feasts. The feasts were very important. And one of the things, too, that just... Americans, one of their biggest problems is... Americans, they don't read. Not even their Bibles. And they think the whole world is like America, too. And it, it, um, I've heard a lot of people, too, one of the reasons they're expre- expressing outrage is because of the fact that this attack happened during Sukkot, one of the Jewish holidays. Well, here's the thing about Jewish holidays. First off, they have Sabbaths every week, and, that, and it was on the Sabbath. Secondly, they have holidays all throughout the, all throughout the year. Okay? Now, you say, well, why do they do that? Well, that was actually by design because God wanted them always taking the time to remember him. So it's hard to do things around all their holidays and things because they have so many. And it is. It's, it's too bad that in our you know, Christian culture, we don't do more of that stuff. But that's part of us, too. We become more and more secular, you know, where Sunday is not even a priority anymore, where it used to be in our culture, where just most things were shut down on Sunday because... Everybody went to church on Sunday, but we're getting, you know, that's just another area where we're getting away from things. But notice what, uh, let's see what it says in verse 16 or um, 19. So it says, and the children of the captivity kept the Passover on the 14th day of the first month. This is a big deal. And I want you to keep this in mind because here's the thing too. As Christians, while, you know, we should go to church regularly. Are we commanded as Christians to celebrate any holidays? No. In fact, we're not to let anybody judge us in holiday, in holy days and things like that. You know, it's, it is, you know, we have liberty to celebrate holidays, 
But we don't have a command to celebrate holidays. We should just always be remembering God. Every day in, in, should be a Sabbath to us, spiritually speaking. Okay? So, that's an important thing to, for us to understand. But under the Old Covenant, these things, they were not optional. And there was a way for them to be done, which if they were not, if they weren't being done in that way, then they just weren't being done. In fact, they weren't able to do those things. And it's important we understand these details because we have people today pretending they are keeping these feasts. Okay? And when I hear people talk about, you know, the, how over, you know, over there in Israel, they're keeping the feast of tap or Passover and tabernacles and all these things. I'm like, first of all, I'm like, no, they're not. In fact, it's, it's not even possible. And, well, and let, me sh- let me just show you a few things. All right, so let's keep reading. So it says, so this is this ta- talking about how they kept the pe- feast of Passover. You don't just get to say, I'm keeping the Passover. There is a way to keep the Passover. If you are not keeping the Passover in that way, you're not keeping the Passover, so don't say you are. Okay. So verse 20, For the priests and the Levites were purified together. All of them were pure and killed the Passover for all the children of the captivity and for their brethren, the priests, and for themselves. Okay? To do the Passover, you have to kill a Passover lamb. The priests have to do it. The priests have to be purified in order. This is important. Okay? Keep this in mind. And the children of Israel, which are coming out of the captivity, and all of such had separated themselves unto them from the filthiness of the heathen of the land to seek the Lord God of Israel, did eat. So the people had purified themselves as well. And there was a way they did that. And they kept the Feast of Unleavened Bread seven days with joy. You do not keep the Feast of Passover without also keeping the Feast of Unleavened Bread that is a week after that Passover. Okay? You don't just pick which feast you want to keep. And we're not going to take time, but if you go back to Leviticus, I believe it's Leviticus, where they give all the different feasts, it's all, all the feasts are one command. The way you keep the feasts is you do all of the feasts. You don't just pick which ones you're going to do. You don't just say, hey, I'm going to keep the Passover and then go back to work the next day. No, you take the whole week off and keep the Feast of Unleavened Bread as well. There is no keeping the Passover and skipping the Feast of Unleavened Bread. Does everybody understand that? Okay, like, hey, we're Christians. If you want to do Christmas and skip New Year's or skip Christmas Eve. You know, you can do that however you want. That's not how it was with these Jewish feasts. People don't realize that. You were supposed to keep the feast seven days. And so, uh, and so turn over to Second Chronicles chapter 30. So here, though, we see them doing it. They actually keep the, fast, the Passover, which also included the Feast of Unleavened Bread. They did it for seven days. For the Lord had made them joyful and turned the heart of the king of Assyria unto them to strengthen their hands in the work of the house of God, the God of Israel. So they were, they were, God's blessing them greatly here. He's blessing this work. God is behind this work. God wants them to have a temple because God has given them instructions that they were to fulfill, that they were to keep to prepare for the Messiah. And spoiler alert, they didn't get the job done. We're not going to spend any time talking about that. But go to Second Chronicles chapter 30. I need to turn over there. Second Chronicles chapter 30. We're not going to read this whole chapter, but it's important that you get this. Because we should not respect those who pervert the Passover. Because I recognize the holiness of the Passover, I am not even going to pretend 
that I keep the Passover. Okay? So what do you do? Just throw it out? No. Uh, there's something very important that we should do with the Passover. I'll cover that. But in Second Chronicles 30, it says, And Hezekiah sent to all the Israel and Judah and wrote letters also to Ephraim and Manasseh that they should come to the house of the Lord at Jerusalem to keep the Passover unto the Lord God of Israel. For the, uh, I, for the king had taken counsel and his princes and all the congregation of Jerusalem to keep the Passover in the second month. Now, they had been fighting all these battles. A lot had been going on with their enemies. I don't have time to get into all that had happened. But because of all that they, the battles and things had been fighting, they had not been able to do the work of the Lord. They had not been able to keep the feasts. And, he, and so now they end up getting victory and Hezekiah's like, we need to go back to keeping the feasts. But part of keeping the feast of the Passover is the priests have to be cleansed. Well, there was a process to that. They were not, they did not have time to fulfill that process of cleansing the priests, and they can't keep the Passover without clean priests. So you know what it says in verse 3? For they could not keep it at that time. So they're about to keep the Passover on the 14th day of the second month. You're supposed to do it on the first month. They're going to do it on the second month because, again, you don't just get to skip part of the process. Now, in reality, you shouldn't even do it on another day. They probably, you know, in reality, they need to wait till next year. But God was merciful because, again, with God, it's about the heart. I think God saw their heart was in the right place here. And so God, you know, gave them some allowances and he allowed them to do it on the second, on the second month. But they still had to do the cleansing process. They still had to do it right. They weren't allowed to just make a mockery of it. And so God ended up allowing us, for they could not keep it at that time because the priests had not sanctified themselves sufficiently. Neither had the people gathered themselves together at Jerusalem, which is another thing you have to do to keep the Passover. You have to gather together at Jerusalem. And we're not going to take time to read it, but go read Second Chronicles chapter 30 sometimes. And it was a very meticulous process. And God was being merciful to them here, allowing them to do it on the second month, on the 14th day of the second month. But that was not how it was supposed to be done. And so understand, today, did you know that today it literally, not only is it not necessary, not only is it unbiblical to keep the Passover, because we shouldn't be sacrificing lambs today, ladies and gentlemen. Not for... Uh, you know, not for the offering of sin or anything like that. If you want to sacrifice once, you can make some brisket or, uh, you know, uh, eat some euros or something like that. By all means, go ahead. Um, but many lambs have died, so I can do that. But not, we don't do it for any type of religious. We don't do it for any type of religious purpose. So, but the thing is, even if, okay, I understand the Jews don't believe the Messiah came. Okay, that's fine. That's their belief. They're wrong. That's their belief. But, why are they pretending to keep the Passover? They can't. They don't have a temple. They don't have any priests. How are they keeping the Passover? They can't sacrifice a lamb. They can't do any, any of these things. So how are they keeping the Passover? You know what they've done? They've perverted the Passover is what they've done. You say, well, what, what should we do? Well, here's... Here's the thing. We don't need to keep the Passover. We see in the Colossians 2.13, And you being dead in your sins and the uncircumcision of your flesh, hath he quickened together with him, having forgiven you all trespasses 
blotting out the handwriting of ordinances that was against us, which was contrary to us, and took it out of the way, nailing it to his cross, and having spoiled principalities and powers, he made a show of them openly, triumphing over them in it. Let no man therefore judge you in meat or in drink or in respect of any holy day or of the new moon or the Sabbath day, Sabbath days, which are a shadow of things to come, but the body is of Christ. So here's, here's why they can't judge us when it comes to these feasts and things. Because the body is of Christ. They were a shadow of things to come and they came. Therefore, I don't have to do those things. But if these people are claiming those were not a shadow of Jesus Christ, if they're claiming that the Messiah did not come, then why aren't they doing these things? And they will even tell you, oh, well, we can't do all these things because we don't have a temple. Well, then don't say you are. Stop saying that you are. You know what they're doing? They're perverting these holy feasts. They're perverting these holy offerings, these holy ordinances that were given to Israel they are altering them in ways that God never authorized them to alter them. And I'm saying, all that, I'm saying that too, even assuming they were right that the Messiah did not come. And they are dead wrong about that. But what they are doing does not even resemble it. So they can't possibly keep the Passover. These feasts cannot be kept without a temple. The feast of, did you know that a lot of, more and more Christians are starting to keep the Feast of Tabernacles today? A lot of Christians start to keep the Feast of Tabernacles. And you want to know how they do it? They go stay in hotels and resorts in Branson. Folks, the Feast of Tabernacles, they were supposed to dwell in tabernacles, in tents, in booths, outside of Jerusalem. Why were they, and why did they do that? It was a way for them to remember that they, at one time, were wandering in the wilderness. And they had to dwell in tents. God wanted them to remember how they had to do that when he brought them back to the land and they're dwelling in houses and things. They needed to have a time where they did that. They're not doing that. So not only are, not only are the Jews not doing that, which is part of keeping the feast, but you have Christians who are perverting it even more and they're saying they're keeping the Feast of Tabernacles. They're not going to Jerusalem. They're going to Branson. And they're staying in nice hotels and resorts. Our family, we were staying, we were, at a, we were at a hotel in Branson. It was a nice hotel years ago. And there was a bunch of religious people there, all conservatively dressed. They, look like, they looked like Baptists. I, saw, I, I remember I saw some talking. I thought they were Baptists. But then I was kind of eavesdropping in their conversation. And they were talking about, you know, that being, they're keeping the Feast of Tabernacles and all that kind of stuff. And they're like, they're like, yeah, I've been talking with these folks. And they named some people, obviously, didn't know who they were. I've been trying to get them, you know, get on board with doing this, you know, and, you know, keeping the Feast of Tabernacles with us. But, you know, Baptists, they never change on anything. <laughs> and, I, and, I, and, I, and I didn't say anything. I should have. But I, I was like, man, I should have just looked at them and said, why would you change when you're right? <laughs> but you know what? Give it a few years with all the Zionism being promoted in Baptist churches and Baptists will be going to Branson keeping the Feast of Tabernacles. Where is, folks, these things are not authorized anywhere in the Scriptures. The whole point of keep, now here's the thing. According to Jewish law and according to precedent in the Old Testament, they shouldn't be keeping the Feast of Tabernacles because they don't even really have the land right now. I mean, that's why they're fighting right now. They don't have the land. They don't have the temple. So obviously, they shouldn't be keeping any of these feasts. My problem is they're saying that they are. 
That's my problem. I don't have a problem that they're not doing it. One, they don't need to. They just need to trust in Christ. But even if they were right about the Messiah, they're not capable of doing these things because they don't have a temple. Here's another thing, too. You know, Hanukkah will be coming up in December. They like to talk about Hanukkah. What people don't realize about Hanukkah, that was what was known as the Feast of Dedication. After uh, the, the, uh, during the uh, Maccabean period, that's in between the Old and New Testament, uh, the Greeks had come through and they had desecrated the temple. They had taken over the temple for a long time. I mean, they went and sacrificed a pig on the altar. They greatly desecrated the holy temple. And so after they had a, a battle, they ended up taking the temple back. And then they had a period of cleansing of the temple. So they could use it again. Before they were able to use that temple again, after it had been desecrated, they had to have a time of cleansing. After they had their time of cleansing of that temple, they had what they started was the Feast of Dedication, where they rededicated the temple so they could put it back to use again, which was another great day in Israel. So every year after that, they started a thing where they would keep the Feast of Dedication, where they would celebrate the, you know, them getting back the temple. So, and, it, and even in uh, Jesus' ministry, people say he celebrated Hanukkah. All it says is he was at Jerusalem at the Feast of Dedication. Right? And the Jews, he got in a fight with the Jews and they rejected him again. So, uh, you know, just a side note there. But here's the thing. How can you celebrate the Feast of the Rededication of the Temple when you don't have a temple? Okay, now what should they do? What should they do since the temple's been destroyed? Well, in Zechariah chapter 7, in verse 1, it says, this is when they, after, after they have re- rebuilt the temple or while they're rebuilding the temple. This chapter we're reading at right here is right during the time that we're reading in Ezra. Keep that in mind. So this is a great day. Things are good. They've rebuilt the temple. So in verse 1, it says, and it came to pass in the fourth year of King Darius that the word of the Lord came unto Zechariah in the fourth day of the ninth month, even Chislu, when they had sent unto the house of God, Sherezer and Regmalach and their men to pray before the Lord and to speak unto the priests, which were in the house of the Lord of hosts and to the prophets saying, should I weep in the fifth month, separating myself as I have done these so many years? Then came the word of the Lord of hosts unto me, saying, Speak unto all the people of the land, and to the priests, saying, When ye fasted and mourned in the fifth and seventh month, even in those seventy years, did ye at all fast unto me, even unto me? And we're not going to read the rest of that. But you might remember this back when I preached through Zechariah. After the temple was destroyed, what they ended up doing, they had a time on the fifth and the seventh month for seventy years where they had a time of weeping and fasting. Why? Because of the destruction of the temple. They did not celebrate. They did not have feasts when they didn't have a temple. They had times of weeping and fasting. That, is, that was what they did. Now, if the Jews were right, and they are not, that the Messiah did not come, then because they do not have a temple, what they should be having is not feasts, but times of weeping and fasting. Now, if you're a Jewish kid living in America and all the kids around Christmas are having feasts and eating and celebrating and eating candy and Christmas ham and you know pumpkin pie and all that kind of stuff, and you and your family 
are not eating and crying, that's going to be kind of like, man, you know, maybe those Christians have something. They're celebrating while we're we- and eating while we're weeping and fasting. That's not very good competition. So you know what they, and, and it's really, and it started getting big in America in the 1900s. They really started pushing Hanukkah. Why? Because they needed something fun to do. But they picked the Feast of Dedication, which is completely inappropriate for them to be celebrating that particular holiday when they don't have a temple. It does, it, it, it makes absolutely no sense at all. It just shows how backwards it is. And that the modern version of Hanukkah that they have today, it was, it was just something to compete with Christmas so the Jews would have something to look forward to during this time of year. But it was inappropriate. And the precedent set in the scripture that they should be doing, assuming they are right, which they are not, I can't emphasize that enough, but they should be fasting and weeping during this time. That doesn't sound like fun. But let me tell you something. If you don't have Jesus, you should be fasting and weeping. You should just believe on him. You should just receive the gift of eternal life. So uh, these passages in Zechariah, they show us the foolishness of celebrating Hanukkah. And so no one keeps the feast anymore and people need to stop pretending they are. There is nothing, this, these, these feasts that they're keeping, it's nothing more than rebellion and Christians should not be playing along with this. And you know what? We shouldn't be weeping and fasting for these things either. We should be rejoicing in Christ and 1 Corinthians 5, 7 says, Purge out there for the old leaven that you may be a new lump as ye are unleavened. For even Christ our Passover is sacrificed for us. Therefore, let us keep the feast, not with old leaven, neither with the leaven of malice and wickedness, but with the unleavened bread of sincerity and truth. So you know why we keep the feast? Because we believe on Christ. That's how you, know how, you know how we keep the feast? We celebrate Jesus Christ. We remember Jesus Christ. You know what we do during the feast of dedication? We remember the real temple that was destroyed and three days later raised up again. We remember Jesus Christ that was given to earth as a gift to mankind for salvation. That's what we do. We keep the focus on Jesus Christ. And so in this story in Ezra, we do. We see the Passover come back, which was great for them in that day. And it was able to come back because they had a temple. And remember that every year in the future, when you see people celebrating the, the, the Passover, you got to ask yourself, how are they doing that without a temple? And the simple fact is they're not. We have a temple, the body of Jesus Christ. And so we celebrate it by worshiping Him. So with that, let's pray. Dear Lord, I thank You so much for this chapter and the lessons we can learn from it. I pray, Lord, You'll help us to continue spreading the Word of keeping the focus on You, Lord. Not an ethnicity, not another religion out there, but on, on You. And I pray that uh, we thank You for what You did for us. And I pray You'll help us to enjoy Uh, the gift that you've given us, and to share it with others. In your name we pray. Amen. You are dismissed.